Exodus 18. We're probably going to go through, I think we're going to get to about Exodus 20. And then we're going to stop there because we start getting into some of the more detailed laws. And we may do a couple topicals after Exodus 20 of just the law, Exodus Leviticus. But we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study here through Exodus 18. Hey, guess what? For the first time tonight, the Israelites aren't complaining about anything. So, amen. Because we've been talking about the Israelites complaining in Exodus 15, Exodus 16, and Exodus 17. So, finally tonight, we're done talking about them complaining. We've also been talking about the symbolism of Jesus Christ being the rock that water came out of, Christ being the branch that was thrown into the waters to make them sweet, Christ being the manna from heaven, all these different visual representations of who Jesus is. Just remember this. This is such a simple point. When you are reading the Old Testament, always look for Jesus. Always look for Jesus. There's a great passage where Christ said, the whole book is written about me. I'm one of my favorite studies that we've ever done out here at church, and we may do it again here coming up. I just loved it so much. We went through every sacrifice mentioned in Leviticus, and we would talk about what the sacrifices were, but then we would talk about how they're really a picture of Jesus Christ. When you read through the law and you start reading this weird stuff, you're like, why did God put it in here? Look for Jesus in it. Because that law, all that is really a picture of Christ and what he did on the cross. And it's an amazing study there. So, but here we are in Exodus 18. In Exodus 18, we have Moses. We have a family reunion here this evening. What we can piece together is this. When Moses felt led by the Lord to go set the Israelites free, his wife Zipporah and their two kids did not come with them. It looks like they went back home to be with her father. And so now that the danger, if you will, has passed, His father, Jethro, brings back his daughter and two grandkids and reunites them with Moses. So what you have here in Exodus 18 is kind of a family reunion. Moses is reunited with his wife and kids after everything that happened in Egypt. And we also have a chapter here of Exodus 18 of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law that we were introduced to back in Exodus 3. So I'm going to read the whole section, and then I just want to come back and talk about it. Verse 1 of Exodus 18. And Jethro... The priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And Gershom means stranger or sojourner. And the name of the other was Elziar, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Elziar means my God is my help. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with the sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the Mount of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about how their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, the reason I had you read that all together, and normally we break it up a little bit, is I wanted you to get the full context here. 
Tonight's lesson is not like our typical Wednesday night. Typical Wednesday night, we get into stuff, we chew on it, and it's a little bit more than what we would do on a Sunday. Tonight's lesson is really just, just a straightforward thing. And, and as, as I'm teaching you tonight, I, it's almost like we're just kind of talking one-on-one. And I just want to ask you some questions as we go through this. And trust me, when I ask you, I've already asked myself this stuff. You've heard me say out here for years, anything that I teach on, I have to live it before I teach it or I have to live it after I teach it. Because the Lord wants us to live this stuff. He doesn't want us just to come, listen, and get fat. There's a lot of fat Christians out there. They show up, they get fed, they go home, and they don't do anything. I want to ask you, are we putting this into practice? So as we go through this, it's just like we were talking one-on-one. First thing I read and the first thing that hit me as I went through this is it's great to see Jethro again. And I love what it says right here in verse 1, that Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses. He heard about it. He heard what God was doing. And so since he heard what God was doing, he, he wanted to be a part of this. He wanted to see what was going on. And I think that it's just such a simple thing of Christianity. If you were with us Sunday, as we were talking, we talked about what the word preach means. And when we think of the word preach in our society, we usually think of preach as a derogatory term. Someone is preaching to me, they're speaking down to me, they're telling me what to do. That's not what the word preach means biblically. The word preach biblically means to proclaim. Proclaim. So they heard what God was doing. I just want to simply ask you this. When's the last time you talked about the Lord to somebody? And I don't mean within the body of Christ. Because that's, that's too easy. When's the last time out in the world, amongst non-believers, that you proclaimed who Jesus was and what he has done for you in your life? Now, it doesn't mean what I call hardcore evangelism. Hey, you're going to hell. I'm not saying that. When's the last time you just proclaimed I want to let you know what the Lord has done in my life. We have lost that simple fact of if the Lord is so important to us, and if He really is the foundation of everything we do and say, why don't we talk about Him? Why don't we talk about Him? I talked to a stranger today. And as I'm talking to him, and the way I, I witness is that the Lord's just opening a door. I just start talking to someone, and I wait for them to say something. If they say something, boom, let's go with it. I was talking to a guy today. I know where he lives. I actually know right where he lives. I don't mean that to be creepy. I know exactly where he lives. He told me. How's this? I know his mother's maiden name, and I know his grandmother's maiden name. You'd have to be part of the conversation. I know I really sound like a stalker, but I'm not doing it. I know how long he's been married. I know how long he's worked at his job. He talked about his wife. I talked about my wife. He talked about his kids. I talked about my kids. And I'm just saying, Lord, open a door as I'm talking here to see where it's going. Now, I don't have a problem talking about dawn to strangers. I don't have a problem talking about my kids to strangers. I don't have a problem talking about the weather to strangers or the Atlanta Braves to strangers. I don't have a problem talking about any of those things. But why is it? When it sounds like the conversation is going to go to the Lord, I get a pit in my stomach, and I'm like, the words just don't flow. Boy, Lord, I want to be bold. 
I want to proclaim who you are. I want to proclaim what you're doing in my life and what I've seen you do in other people's lives. It, it may turn into evangelism of heaven, hell, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Or it may just be, let me tell you about how good my God is. And let me tell you about what Christ has done in my life. And I just want to proclaim it because people need to hear it. If they don't hear what the Lord is doing and moving, man, we're missing out. If you're a note taker, write this down. Psalm 66, verse 16. Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. When is the last time you declared to people that aren't saved what the Lord has done for your life? If you're feeling dry spiritually, if you're kind of feeling a little bit empty and what's the whole point of this, and you just don't have that spiritual push in your life, is it possible because you're not declaring what God has done in your life? If you're not excited about what the Lord is doing in your life, why would you tell anybody about Jesus? If you have not been passionately touched by what Christ has done for you, why is there nothing to go tell other people about it? I mean, if you're kind of ho-hum about the Lord, why am I going around looking to tell people about it? What keeps you from proclaiming what the Lord has done? So Jethro heard it. He heard it. Man, am I doing that as well? Now, let's build with the next one. So we have the reuniting of Zipporah and Gershom and Elziar. And I've already told you what their names mean. Gershom means stranger. Elziar means my God is my help. Now, I want to build on this. I want to build on this in a little bit. Gershom, stranger. That idea of being a stranger in a strange land. Do you realize, as a born-again Christian, you are completely, utterly weird? I mean, do you really get that? I mean, you're really weird. Now, we think we're not weird because we get around each other and weird people interact with weird people so they don't seem weird. To the people out there in the world, you are completely weird. I mean, like almost like really funky weird. Like they don't really even know how to handle you sometimes. And I think sometimes what's happened here is as a church, and I don't mean harvest, I mean as a church in the world, we've started saying, okay, being weird is not the best way to get the gospel. So what we need to do is, is try to relate as much as possible to the world so we don't seem as weird to be able to tell them about Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to compromise our beliefs and we're not going to do that, but we're going to try to get as close as we can so that way the world feels comfortable coming to church. And as they feel comfortable coming to church, then we can proclaim Jesus Christ to them. Now... If that's where the Lord's led you, and that's where the Lord led you. But the more I study the Bible and the more I see this, we're really just called to be oddballs. We, I mean, we really are. And for some reason, that really bothers people. I think it bothers them because there's still a part of us that wants to be comfortable in this world. I don't want my neighbors to think I'm weird. I don't want my coworkers to think I'm weird. Think about what you believe. Compared to a non-believer. You believe a woman had a baby as a virgin. That's weird. You believe this woman had a baby as a virgin and he was God. He was God that took the form of a man. And then you believe this virgin birth man slash God lived on this earth for 30 years. And we don't know anything about what happened from 12 to 30 all of a sudden, he appears at the age of 30, and this virgin birth God slash man 
that wasn't around for 18 years, but now he's here. All of a sudden, he's raising dead people, casting out demons, healing sick, touching lepers, uh, walking on water. Okay, and then he does this for three years. He dies. Three days later, he rises from the dead. And then he ascended to heaven, but he's going to come back. And when he comes back, we're all going to get raptured and taken out just like that. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're really weird. Why are you afraid of being weird? God has called you. It's not in the King James, but if it was, he'd call you an oddball if he could. It didn't really translate well 400 years ago. He uses terms like this. Sojourner, stranger, pilgrim, foreigner. You're different. It's like when you walk into a public place and you see somebody from a different country. They dress different. They speak different. Their mannerisms are different. And you can immediately peg them. They're not from around here. That's the way we are called to be as believers. But yet we try so hard to fit in with everything. And the longer I walk with the Lord, it's not that I'm purposely trying to be strange. I am just strange. According to the world, I'm just strange. Philippians goes one step further in Philippians 3 verse 20. Your citizenship is in heaven. God does not even look at you as a citizen of this world. But how much time and energy is put into this world? We're going to save America. We're going to save this. We're going to save that. God says, yeah, that's not even your home. Your home's in heaven. You're just passing through here for maybe 60, 70, 80, 90 years. That's all. And then you're going right home. We are strangers, sojourners, pilgrims, just like his name here was. Stranger in a strange land. We're going to be different. And as we go through this world and we're going to be different, Elziar, my God is my help. Because being a weirdo in this world, I need a lot of help. Because when I claim to be a Christian, I am setting myself apart in how I raise my kids, how I treat my wife, how I walk, how I talk, how I live, how I dress. And I think a lot of times people sign up to be a Christian and they're not really willing to look at it from that perspective. Can't I just be a Christian that just looks and acts like everybody else? You can. But that's not what God's called you to. He's called you to a different standard. Do you realize how difficult that is? Look at verse 8 of Exodus 18. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. All the hardship. See, when I live in this world, I have to accept the fact there is going to be a whole awful lot of hardship. Can you go with me to 1 Peter, please? We just made a point earlier about, as believers, why do we forget that we're different? Well, let me ask you this as you're going to 1 Peter. As believers, why do we forget that this world is hard? 1 Peter, let's go to 1 Peter 4 first. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, 
Do not think it strange concerning the fire or trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You don't know how many times throughout the week or in counseling, and God love you, and, I, and I'm not picking on you, please don't take it that way. Somebody calls me up and they want to tell me how rough it is. And I want to say, yeah, did, why did we think it wasn't going to be? I mean, do we, do we subconsciously think because God is on our side, believers don't get cancer? Believers don't get flat tires? Believers don't have bills that need to be paid. Believers don't have sore backs. Believers don't have really junky bosses that we have to submit to. Believers don't have any of that. Peter is kind of like, do not think it's strange. I really think if Paul and Peter were here today and they would talk to the typical Christian, I think Paul and Peter would probably want to deck them. That's just my personal opinion and say, come on, guys, toughen up. Do not think it's strange. What are we supposed to do? Verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. Rejoice. Because when you are going through difficult times in this earth, it's really one of the few ways that you can ever stop and say, "Ah, Jesus, I can relate to you. I mean, think about that. It's really difficult to relate to Jesus Christ. Virgin birth, remember that? Yeah, I think we can't relate. Perfection? Yeah, I can't relate. Raising dead, casting out demons? Yeah, I can't relate. Walking on water? Can't relate. Died, three days later rose again? Yeah, I can't relate. Being mocked for my beliefs? Ah, I can relate to that. Physical pain? Yes, I can relate to that. Jesus, I, I, for one, it's like a conversation starter. Christ, you and I have both been mocked for being a Christian. We can relate. But there is a joy in that because it makes you realize what Jesus went through and it gives you a greater picture of that. Let's go one step further. Stay in 1 Peter and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. These hardships that we go through, the Lord uses them. 1 Peter 1, look at verse 6. Here's that word again. In this you greatly rejoice. We rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. We rejoice. Trials are only for a little while. They are needed if need be. And they're grievous. They're difficult. Now, some of you don't want to hear this, but this is just the truth of it. If it says the trials only last for a little while, some of you are saying a little while. I've been going through something that's been lasting for years, decades. I have a medical condition that's not going to change. I have this my whole life. That's a little while. Compared to eternity, it's a little while. Everything that happens on this world is a little while compared to eternity. Eternity. God says, I allow hardships in your life to test you, to grow you, to refine you, to help you. But yet, as believers, we do absolutely everything we can to run from them. Lord, make it stop. Lord, please stop this. Lord, make it end. God says, I'm using this to refine you, to make you a stronger believer, as a greater witness. Lord, I don't care. Maybe the Lord wants to move in that. Because what happens is, go back now to Exodus 18... The hardships that came upon them was really a way to testify for what God 
has done in their lives. And maybe the Lord is allowing a hardship in your life right now for you to say, I will still proclaim Christ no matter what I'm going through. No matter what I'm going through, I will still proclaim Christ. Now, before we move on to the next point, we've got two points here, to, and then we're done. Has anybody got any quick questions, comments here about anything we've gone over thus far? Okay. Oh, sorry, Marcus. Um, one of the things that probably doesn't make as big of an impact on us is because we're used to getting information from far away as rapid as minutes after it's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about the news that was traveling. Is the news was traveling that the world power, Egypt, entire army just got washed under by the Red Sea, and the Jews crossed on dry land. And and this is one of the points that we've been talking about in Exodus for so long. If you go all the way back to the beginning of Exodus, one of God's purposes for the plagues, yes, it was to judge Egypt, yes, it was to show that he is God better than any other gods, But one of the things is that this is going to be proclaimed for generation after generation after generation. And we talked about how when they went into the promised land, you know, decades later, you know, Rahab, the prostitute, says, We have heard about what your God did. Jump ahead even farther, hundreds of years now. When they were talking to, I believe it was the Canaanites, the Canaanites said, We have heard about what your God did to Egypt. That this was a chance to proclaim what the Lord did. This is big news. And this news spread because it's an amazing thing when you stop and think about it. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Yeah, Russell. Yeah, and that's a good point. It's being different in a good way. It's being different being spirit-led. It's different proclaiming the fruits of the Spirit. It's not being different to be different to draw attention to ourselves. If you continue reading there in 1 Peter 4, one of the things that Peter talks about is don't go out and try to get persecuted for being a jerk. That's basically what it says. It says don't go out there and get persecuted for being a murderer or a thief, whatever. I know Christians that think they're doing a good job spreading the gospel by being really annoying and irritating. And then they hide behind the verses of, well, believers, are we're going to get persecuted. Hey, believers, we got to take a stand. We're called to be bold. They're not being spirit-led. They're, they're just really being annoying and thinking that they're doing something good, and then they judge fruit by everybody hating them. No, the, the most effective believer, it's just like Russ said, it's the believers that show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. If you just do that, you already are weird compared to the world. That's being led by the Spirit. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Okay. Once Jethro hears this, look at verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he was above them. Now when it says, now I know, if you look in the original Hebrew, this is not like, oh, Jethro just finally saw the light. This is a really interesting verb, where basically we would translate it into English language, ah, I get it now. I get it now. Sometimes Dawn will call me up during the day, and something's happening with the kids, something's happening at home, and she tells me about it, And I believe her. She's not lying. But then I get home, 
and I see it, and I'm like, oh, I get it now. I believed her. I don't think she was lying, but when I saw it and when I heard it myself, it's like the light comes on completely fully. It's like, ah, I get it now. Jethro had already believed in God. We know that. The Bible makes that clear. But when he saw this and he heard this, I mean, can you imagine Jethro? Now, Jethro's job beforehand, remember, he had the sheep, he was the shepherd. He comes now to see Moses. He's walking into a camp of millions of people. And his little son-in-law, the shepherd, is in charge. He's walking into a camp and he says, wait, wait a second. Every morning when you wake up, there's bread on the grass that you guys just collect and eat. That's, that's what I'm eating for breakfast tomorrow? Yeah, just go out in the morning and collect it. But remember the rules, Jethro. Don't, don't keep it overnight. You got to okay. And what about supper? Well, supper's really kind of funky. There's these quails that fly in. And if you want a quail, you just kind of go grab a quail. It's like, it's like drive-through, but it comes to you. And what about if I'm thirsty? Well, every now and then Moses goes and he hits a rock. And it's like a drinking fountain that just kind of comes out. What do you guys do in the day? Well, there's this big cloud that kind of gives us shade and leads the way. Well, what about at night? Well, there's this pillow of fire. Can you imagine Jethro walking into this? That's why he says, I get it now. I see it. What is the only response to when you finally get it? Verse 12. To offer up sacrifices to God. That's the only response. Now, I don't want you to be so moved tonight that you go home and you tell your wife, honey, go get a lamb, we're killing it. That's not the point. You are so moved by what the Lord did that you offer up sacrifices. But we need to go to the New Testament and find out what are the New Testament sacrifices that we're supposed to offer. And there's two of them I just want to hit here real quick. I'm running short on time, so I'm just going to share them with you. The first sacrifice is the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Praise is a sacrifice. You know why praise is a sacrifice? Because you spend the majority of your day, just like I spend the majority of my day, thinking about myself. I'm the type of guy that I get done with lunch and I start thinking, I wonder what's for supper. I think about myself. I'm the type of guy that thinks about getting comfortable. I'm the type of guy that thinks about taking a nap. I'm the type of guy that thinks about, this sounds good, this sounds fun. So to praise means I finally stop thinking about me. And that's a sacrifice. That's the purpose of praise and worship. If you still think praise and worship is coming in and being a music critic, I like this song, I don't like this song, I don't like the way they're playing it, I like the way they're playing it, it's too loud, you're you're completely missing praise. Praise is, I'm just going to let everything go and just focus solely on the Lord. And why am I praising Him? I'm praising Him because He's just God. Yes, you can praise Him for what He has done, but don't ever come in thinking, oh, I hope the Lord has earned this today. He has earned it by dying on the cross for your sins. He's just God. He's earned it by creation. So praise is that. It's not about the music. It's not about the the people singing. It's not about the atmosphere. It's not about any of it. It's just about the Lord. And you know what? We all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. I'll just share with you a struggle I have. I usually, as much as possible, try to sit in the front. If I don't sit in the front, I just get completely, utterly distracted by everybody that's going on. Sometimes I just got to sit down and cover my face up so that way I'm not distracted. But um, there was a Sunday, a few Sundays ago, where something was going wrong. I think it was at the 10 o'clock. It worked at the 8.30, but it didn't work at the 10, where they couldn't get the overhead projector to work. And so they couldn't get the overhead projector to work for a couple songs, so we didn't have the lyrics up there. 
And so we didn't shut the lights off. Because we shut the lights off so that way you can see better with the overhead projector. We didn't have the overhead projector. There was no lyrics. So I shut the lights off. Man, I just kept sitting there going, why are we shutting the lights off? Well, overhead projector's not on. I know, but we've got to have the lights off. That's how you worship. You can't worship with the lights on. I mean, you just, you can't. Got to have mood lighting. You know what I mean? That's what you got to do. It was so distracting. I actually went back and I spoke to Alan. I'm like, Alan, should we shut the lights off? It's like, why would you shut the lights off? There's no projector on back there. We all get distracted. And, and the purpose of worship is supposed to be just about worship. So that's the first sacrifice, is the sacrifice of praise. Here's the last sacrifice. Go with me with you real quick, if you will, to Romans 12. And a lot of you know where I'm going with this. Romans 12. And this is the last verse we'll share here today. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How's this? The only thing God has asked for is everything. He just wants every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. So I told you the way I was looking at this lesson is kind of like just us talking to each other. My first question I asked you is, when's the last time you proclaimed Jesus? I just want to ask you, have you given him everything? Everything. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I haven't given him everything because there's always something I'm holding back on. Okay, I understand that. But, But can you honestly say, Lord, this is not my life, but your life. Your life, Lord, to the point... That I don't even want to say in this. You tell me where to go. You tell me where to live. You tell me who to speak to. You, you, you tell me what my plan is tomorrow. I mean, how many of us are thinking, boy, as soon as that grass gets dried out, I'm going to get on that lawnmower. Okay, what about if the Lord says, I don't want you to mow? I got to mow the grass. No, you don't. Go witness for somebody for Jesus Christ. Grass, let it grow. And come back and mow it some other time. What happens if the Lord says something strange like that? What happens if when you get up tomorrow and tomorrow's your day off and you got this whole to-do list, I'm going to get this done, and the Lord says, nah, I don't want you to do that. How about we just pray and fast and talk today? Or how about I send you to go help out that person? See, we, we don't offer up our body as a living sacrifice. We give God little slivers of time and energy, and we think we're doing a good job because I'm doing more than most. I mean, it's really kind of weird to think that God would ask everything. We've already established the fact that we're weird. He's asked for everything. And when he asks for everything, look at verse, uh, the end of verse 1. It says, this is your reasonable service. This is, some translation says, this is your rational service. It just makes sense. Jesus... God came down in the form of a man, died on the cross for my sins, rose again, took the punishment of hell for me. It's just reasonable. It's just rational that I would give my life to him. I mean, it just makes sense. I don't know if I've shared this with you before. My my boys want, want so bad to start their own business. They just want to so bad. And so they're coming up with all these ideas. Right now in the one boy's bedroom, Lias took his money and he has invested and he bought an incubator. 
and he's, he's raising ducks and chickens in his uh, um, bedroom there, trying to hatch them out. And just a little side note, just kind of a funny story. He's got, I think, like 13, 15 eggs in there. And he's like, okay, now when these are hatched, I'm going to sell them for this much. He's already figured out how much money he's going to get. I said, honey, you, you can't count your chickens before they're hatched. And he told me, yeah, I can. I got 10 eggs in there. He doesn't understand the saying. So he's going to understand here real quick when they don't all hatch. They want so bad to do that. So they're going to sell chickens and ducks. And so the other thing they want to do is they'll come up to Dawn and I, and they'll say, uh, hey, do you want a massage? I say, sure. And, I, and, I, and so I've learned is they'll come over and start rubbing your foot, and then they'll rub for like five minutes and be like, that's 50 bucks. And it's like, no, it's not. That is not a reasonable or rational deal. That makes no sense. So we've now established the fact is I'll say, hey, I'll give you 50 cents. So what are you going to give me for 50 cents? It's not reasonable. It's not rational to come over and say, I'm going to rub your foot for a minute and expect 50 bucks. We do this with the Lord. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. I'll give you an hour this week. Seriously? Now, I'm not doing this legalistic. I don't want you to walk out of this building saying, okay, i got to do more. I'm not preaching you got to do more. I'm not preaching that at all. Because if I preach you got to do more, that's legalism. I'm just preaching reasonable, rational response. Look what the Lord has done. Just look what he's done. And if you're in a stage of life where you can't tell up from down, left from right, and you're completely confused, Lord, what are you calling me to do? I don't know what to do. Look at verse 2 of Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world. We already talked about that. Do not be conformed. We are weird. We are different. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you want to know the will of God in your life for your wife, for your kids, for your family, for you or for whoever, you've you got to give your life over to Him as a living sacrifice. I don't know how many times I run into believers that will not give their life over to the Lord and then they sit there and they're saying, I wonder what I'm supposed to do. Well, unless you give your life over to the Lord, how are you ever supposed to know? You still think you're in charge. So what we see here in Exodus 18 is we see proclaiming what God has done. We see that we are strangers in this strange land. God is our help through the hardships, and those hardships proclaim what God has done. I can know the Lord. I can get it. And then ultimately my response is, Lord, I just want to give you everything. I want to offer up my life as a sacrifice to you. That is reasonable. That's rational compared to what he's done. Anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up? Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, boy, just, just hearing this and just hearing your, your, your spirit speak, my, for some reason my mind just immediately goes to the kids at church camp. That is a generation that if they stand for Christ, they really are going to be weird. And Lord, give them the strength to make that stand. Give them the strength to be different. Give us the strength to be different. Not to be different for different sake, but just we are and how we live and act, how we interact with others. Lord, if there's someone here tonight going through a hardship, let them know that that hardship is a way to proclaim you and help us to glory in tribulations. And Lord, I don't like praying that prayer, but help us to do it. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we just want to offer our bodies up to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, you're amazing and we love you. In your name we pray.
Amen. Hey, just a reminder, prayer chain, VBS, garage sale giveaway. Take a look at that. Hey, if you got anything you want to pray about, we're going to be hanging out up here for a few minutes to pray. If you got to get going, go ahead and get going. Have a good week. God bless. We'll hopefully see you next Wednesday.